Well, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another Lunch Hour with Renault. And if you didn't notice, Renault got a lot more beautiful. Uh, oh, wait, that's not Renault. That's his beautiful wife, Brooke. And she is with us hey, today. Hey, guys. Hi. Uh, we're going to have a great time as we start a new series together on spiritual disciplines. Uh, we're going to be taking a little bit of time together and talking about soul care and prayer. And uh, if you've been around Mosaic for a long time, you know that in the last few years, uh, we've really uh, shifted to focus a lot on uh, emphasizing soul care and how important that is. And a lot of that comes from just Renault and Brooks' personal journey and how that has spilled over into the life of our church. So uh, I'm just going to take a little bit of time today and uh, just give them an opportunity to, to share just a little bit of their story uh, and so we're going to hear a lot from uh, Brooke today and from Renault as well. So, um, yeah, why don't you unpack that just for us a little bit today? What, what was your journey like? Um, how did you discover um, that soul care was so vital for uh, your lives? All right. You want me to start? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, I guess I will take us back to 2012, actually this time of year exactly, we, um, April 2012 is when we brought our four children from Ethiopia home to join our family, um, making us a family of 10 with eight children, ages 14 to five. And um, pretty much that first year to, I don't know, three or four, those first Six few years <laughs> um, were extremely, extremely challenging. Um, that would probably be a gross understatement, pretty <laughs> yeah. much wrecked my world. Um, Renault was a little more stable than I was in those early years. Um, and I think, I mean, part of it, uh, par- part of what made those particular first years really uh, challenging for Brooke, um, and though it was very challenging for both of us, I think what it made it particularly challenging for Brooke is that we are wired very differently. And so I am wired um, as an extrovert, Um, and a person that functions best in spaces of chaos. So I wanted to be an EMT, drive an ambulance. I stepped into pastoral ministry. I mean, all these spaces where like, I loved youth ministry, where you walk into a room with a bunch of students and you have to kind of manage the realities of energy and chaos and and movement. And and I I like those spaces. Like, they give me life. Brooke is... I absolutely hate chaos. Hates chaos? And crave Disorder. order. Um, and, um, and though she's extrovert in the way she presents, uh, her core is introvert, which means that uh, when she's around a lot of noise and a lot of people, she loves it and enjoys it, but it takes energy from her, so she needs time away from it. I feed off of it. So you can imagine suddenly in a house with 10 people, um, of which there's a lot of chaos and disorder, uh, it disrupted in a super, super big way, not just Brooke's world, but Brooke's soul. And so I always say to people, uh, you know, when Jesus says, um, if you lose your soul for my sake, you'll find it. But if you, uh, or you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. But if you try to preserve your life, you'll lose it. I always say, you know, our adoption was very, very uh, difficult for both of us in terms of just the realities that came with it. But Brooke lost her life in it in many ways. I didn't lose my life in it. And so the recovery from that uh, was, you know, part of what led us down that road. So... Um, so yeah, it was extremely hard. I ended up having to pull away from many of the things that I was involved in, including ministry involvement, just personal relationships, friendships, Bible studies. 
I had to scale back. Um, I'm a fitness instructor. I had to scale back on the classes I was teaching. I started homeschooling um, the kids we had adopted. So my life just changed so dramatically and felt like really there was a, a loss, like a grief, death of a lot of things that had been my life. And so about maybe a year or so, maybe a year and a half into the journey, really hit a very dark place. As I look back now, I can see it that I was probably struggling with depression. I didn't know that at the time. I just felt um, I was in survival mode. I was just kind of living, getting out of bed every day. Probably one of my greatest strengths is responsibility. And um, if I commit to something, I'm going to do it no matter what. And I think that's the only thing that kept me going is that I got out of bed every day. I remember those days, Brooke, like it being in the lobby with you having just a quick chat. I burst into tears. Yeah, and and I always just was so grateful for your authenticity in those days that you didn't really hide that, that you were just like, hey, this is my world right now, and and it it helped all of us, you know, come alongside you in prayer and just being, like, with you on the journey. Um, I think so, so often one of the first steps to, you know, being a person who is um, able to invest in their spiritual healthy life is being able to recognize when things are not all right, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think that is, that's a really key part of, I think this story Mm -hmm. and your journey is that you were honest enough to say, like, I'm not okay right now. This is not okay with me, the world that I'm living in Mm -hmm. right now, and I'm struggling. And so I think that was probably, Mm -hmm. had you not... And probably really a saving grace for me, because I'm not someone who's a hider. I'm not someone who... Absolutely. And so that allowed me to step into... um, relationships that would be really healing and um, helpful for me. And and so we ended up about a year and a half into the journey being invited to a conference, a pastor's, not a conference, I guess a retreat would be a retreat, better way to think, yeah. a pastor's retreat out um, in Colorado at a ministry called the Potter's Inn. We had had some, actually the Harger family, um, who are our missionaries in South Africa, had had a relationship with Stephen Gwynn, the founders of the Potter's Inn, years before, and it had been really life-changing for them. And, and so we had knew about it, but we had never actually met Stephen Gwynn or been part of the ministry. And so we ended up going to this retreat. I remember flying out there on that, um, on the, the first time we were there. We've been there many times since. And being on the plane and just praying, God, like, I just want to hear you. Like, I feel like I lost my ability to hear you. There's so much chaos in my life and so much noise. And my heart is hard and numb just out of self-protection because there was just so much affront happening in my home with the dynamics between the kids and me. Um, I just want to hear God. And uh, God was so faithful to me on that trip. It was really a truly a life-changing trip for me, I think for Renault and me, but mm-hmm. mostly for me because I was at a really not a good place. And so that time, that retreat there really started our soul care journey with those <laughs> words. Um, I probably was a little bit before that, but um, really, and I guess the best way to just kind of in a nutshell sum up what that even means, soul care journey, what does that mean? Is for me, it was kind of Taking, putting aside all the ministry, the theological studies, knowing more about God to just being with God, just experiencing him, hearing him speak to me, hanging out with him, that friendship with God is really, for me, what that 
soul care journey is how I would sum it, sum it up. So that's a great place to just kind of pause there and and to really like go back to this is a series on spiritual disciplines and I think a lot of times when we think of spiritual disciplines it sounds like this really arduous task you know reality um, but that's I, that really sums it up. I mean the disciplines of the faith are the works of intimacy mm-hmm. so that we can actually know God and be with God and connect with God. Which yeah, is... and I think to a large extent, I mean, if, if you guys happen to have been here last week or you got a chance to watch it last week at some point, you know, last week we, uh, we <clears> spent <throat> time talking about palm trees and the idea of feeding the roots um, and getting rid of the branches because in our cultural context, unfortunately, a lot of times we overdo branches right. and we under uh, uh, nourish roots. Right. And I think what you're hearing from us in our soul care journey is that I, I mentioned last week that when a storm then comes, the guy that w- that I talked to about palm trees said, when when the big storm comes through, little roots, big branches, tree fall over. That's right? right? I mean, like this, this doesn't go well. And I think one of the luxuries we had, and I say that now, it didn't feel that way then, is that we may have gone on in our sort of Western way of life of of more branches than we should have, less roots than we should have, less time with God in relationship, more time doing things for God or whatever for uh, years, maybe decades, decades, because it's survivable. The tree's not super healthy, but the, the big storm hasn't come and blown the tree over. Our adoption- And it's more tangible, I think. It's more like you see the branches. You can see the green leaves. You don't really see the roots. And so for me, my spiritual journey, not even knowing, was so much like I wanted the fruit. So, you know, I was doing the Bible study. I do my homework and I'd show up and, and it was good. And I, I love studying the word of God. And Or I would, you know, do service towards others. Or I'd be involved at church and I'd be here. And, you know, spiritual conversations with friends. and But just this more kind of... Um, I don't know. It's not as tangible. It's more kind of ethereal, like just being with God. Like that's, I'm a doer. Like check it off the list is how I want to do it. And when you're just like, sometimes when you spend time with the Lord and you're just in this more kind of space of friendship, it's, it's not as tangible. Like you might not hear a specific word that God's speaking to you. You might not walk away with a verse for the day. Um, but it's just okay. It's enough. And I had to learn for it to be enough to just be with him and that that is joyful for him and joyful for me. And even learning what it means to be with him is part of our soul care journey that the disciplines right. of the faith afforded us. And so with all of this, I think for us, we hit a storm. The adoption in that world, our tree fell over. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the best way I can put it. Yeah. And so now you're like, well... Well, I fell over and I think I was grabbing everyone on the way down. Yeah, not quite. I think we all... <laughs> I mean, it, it, it I just, wasn't just, I just you. It was, you know, I remember those days. Like, I remember the frustration of Renault just being in, in this place where, you know, I live in the future. I live in this world where everything's okay. But if I'm honest about my present, everything's crumbling around me and I don't know what to do. Yeah. And so he yeah. was just as... You know, maybe not. I just painted a silver lining around my tree that was down, and she actually looked at hers realistically and said, The the tree's down, we're dead. So, bottom line is, and all of that to say, our soul care journey began because our life essentially got to a place where the exhaustion and reality of life had sucked the life out of our souls, right? But we had a particular event that did that this adoption. For many of us, I think it is the events of life over a period of time this slow erosion of not feeding the roots that gets us to the same place. And so often for most of us, unfortunately, soul care begins 
when we finally hit the reality of I'm burned out. Right. It shouldn't have to. And, and one of the things we want to do at Mosaic is to invite people into the soul care journey before they have to go to the Potter's Inn in a crisis and learn it that way like we did. So let's go back to the Potter's Inn in just a moment. I want to say hello to some folks, but um, let's go back to the Potter's Inn to that early, that first trip. And, and what were some of the things that um, really kind of uh, reoriented your life? Like what are the things that you discovered about the world that you were living in? What are the things that you discovered about the disciplines of the faith and soul care? that began to reshape your story from there. So before we get into that, if you are uh, joining us uh, uh, in the last couple of minutes uh, to catch you up on what we're doing, we are doing a new series uh, on spiritual disciplines. And, um, and today we're starting with Renault and Brooke and just learning about uh, soul care and uh, prayer and, and their journey of discovering how valuable soul care is and why the disciplines of the faith matter so much and how that has impacted the life of our church uh, together. So uh, Brooke has been gracious enough to join us and uh, she really has um, you know, spearheaded a lot of this journey in, in the family environment with the Vanderitz and also uh, shaped Renault in that space. And, and that has, you know, in turn shaped Mosaic very, very deeply. And so really, really excited to have you join us today. So a few people that are with us, uh, Darlene Buck, uh, Buck is here. Hey, Darlene. Uh, Andy What's Miller, up? all the way from New York. Um, we got Lulu. We've got Kelly Tucson, um, Yara, up, guys? Obi. Uh, Natalie, OB. Michelle. There's Are you in a, a meeting, Obi? Watching he's probably this secretly. In a meeting. I know and, it. Uh, yeah. We love that. So, um, so yeah. Just as we as is we Rachel can, with you, Andy. Say hi to Rachel if she's if she's not. Say hi to her later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so as we uh, kind of continue this conversation, um, we just want to invite you guys to to jump in and share uh, comments on uh, on the Facebook feed and uh, maybe just share a little bit about uh, some challenges that you've faced in terms of. Um, you know, the, the disciplines of the faith and caring for your soul and engaging in this. Because if, if I'm honest, I mean, this is a serious challenge. Like, uh, I'm the kind of person that if, if it is on my task list and I know that I'm responsible to get something done, I will do it. I will do the study. I will do the work. I will prepare. I will make sure that it's done. If it is not on a legitimate to-do list and it's not a legitimate responsibility for me, I will allow my soul a road to nothing. And I know that about myself. And so it's been, it's been a challenge for me. And I imagine that I'm not the only one that, that struggles with this. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about that for and you guys And it's super as well, challenging but. because, remember, we always start with too many branches because of the nature of our culture. Yeah. So when you have too many branches, they're all keeping you quite busy. Right. So the challenge even begins, and we found that a ton in our story to this day. It still continues. Eight kids in our house, the lives we live. The challenge of stepping into soul care starts with a logistical challenge. It's just Sometimes it difficult, can feel like a luxury, like, oh, well, I'll get to that, but I need to do, and that's probably my biggest challenge. Like, once I do all these other things that have to happen right now, then I'll do that. Then I'll spend time with the Lord. Then yeah. I'll just have that because it's... It doesn't it, feel as urgent. Right. It, it's, not, it's not like a, a sink full of dirty dishes no staring you in the face. No waiting on you. Right. You don't have to get that done. So. Right. And I think that at, at the um, Potter's Inn, the first thing we learned was this shift in mindset to say there are rhythms that God has put into place that he made a really big deal about. In fact, big enough that he bothered in the 10 things that we kind of put on the top of the list of law, things like don't kill people and don't right. have affairs and right. don't steal. On there, he's like, and, and by the way, 
Seth. keep my rhythms. Uh, and, and, and that was the first profound and shift for really us. Super interesting, and just the way that God has worked in my story is that years before that, you know, this time at the Potter's Inn, probably four years before that, before we'd adopted, we probably hadn't even started the adoption process. We hadn't. Uh, we were, I went through a period where I felt like God very much challenging me, convicting me, inviting me, would probably be a better word, into honoring the Sabbath, mm. which we had never done. And for different reasons, mostly because we work on, we're not, you know, we're at church most of the day on Sundays. Right. And, um, but, and I just, there was just multiple things those years before where God was just saying, I have something for you in this. I, there's something waiting for you and I want you to find it. I want you to explore it. And through that study and time of learning and um, one of the things that's so fascinating about the Sabbath is that it is the most often mentioned of the commands in scripture, yeah. Old and New Testament. Yeah, wow. And, um, and the Sabbath is for us. God knows that we need that rhythm in our life of work, community, and rest. Mm. Or ceasing. And ceasing. And, um, so rest is not like chilling on a bed. It's stopping all of the things. I remember um, at the Potter's Inn, one of the things we learned about the Sabbath keeping is that it, the idea is to release the, 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 the plow. The plow. The plow. It's, it's hands off the plow. The land has to get plowed. The seeds have to be planted. Otherwise, when the rains come, the crop will not grow and you will not have food and you will die. Like that was the urgency that they felt then. And here's what God's saying. If you trust me, take your hands off the plow, even though the field is not done, and go and cease for a day and then come back to the plow. And if it, trust me with, with the outcome. That concept of, of work, then commune, then cease. And we see that same we, concept we just, in, in, in giving and generosity. Like we give our financial resources. We give from the top. Right. We give off the top and then we trust God with the rest. We don't know what our, our you know, responsibilities and financial commitments are going to be, but we say, here you go. Here we give this back to God. The same thing, Sabbath is the first day of the week. It's not the last day of the week. It's what we give first not knowing what the next six days are going to hold and how busy they're going to be and what our commitments are going to be. And we say, I give this to you. I need you. I need to be replenished. I need to stop and remind my own soul who you are, who I am in you, and that you are enough, that you are enough. And then the, let the rest of the days I think that's a out. really interesting observation, um, both from how finances work and how our, our, the budget of our time works. Mm-hmm. Like the, the calendar, I mean, it is set up Sunday to Saturday, but we don't think of it that way in our culture. We think the week begins on Monday mm-hmm. because that's when school starts, that's when work starts, and we go Monday through Friday. Everybody's working for the weekend, right? right. And then we hit, we hit Saturday and Sunday, and, you know, we have a flurry of activities, and, you know, we, we run around and run around, and then we end up, you know, Sunday night, it's 8 p.m., and we're dreading Monday. Mm-hmm. Why are we dreading Monday? We're dreading Monday because we haven't truly rested. Um, we, haven't, we haven't taken our hands off the plow. Mm-hmm. We're, still, we're still... We just switched plows. a different plows. kind of work. <laughs> and so we, we took our hand off the work week plow and put it on the uh, entertainment plow or the, or the management children plow or yep. the whatever the other... But, but we did not house go... House projects. Yeah, we did yeah. not I like go. house projects. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> so we, we know how to fill our calendar, and then what ends up happening is we have nothing left over, mm-hmm. which 
that's totally how it works with our finances too, right? Oh, I'll be generous with the leftovers. Right. But then like we can find a way to spend money, right? Yeah, and yeah. we realize we don't have leftovers. But and that's why think, we're supposed to flip-flop yeah. that and it should be first fruits. Absolutely. And I think in the same principle as money, we are a debt-incurring uh, culture. Right. Which says this, when you don't have enough, just borrow. borrow right. And pay it back later. And we borrow the trouble from, is we, we borrow sleep. We borrow <laughs> time. From, that came to mind. Right. For sure from spiritual yeah. life. We borrow right. time. The trouble is right. just like money. If you're always borrowing and never making a plan to replenish, you eventually end up with enormous debt. Yeah. And then you, 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 you want to find these reset buttons that eliminates it. And the trouble is when it comes to our spiritual journey and our soul care journey, there is no magic button that you get well, to see, push. Well, see, we try that with escape. Yeah. Um, so we escape to Netflix and Hulu. We escape to alcohol. We escape to mm-hmm. sexual addiction, uh, which we're going to get into later on with Facebook Live. But we, we choose escape mm-hmm. rather, you know, with our leftovers rather than choosing soul care with right. our first fruits. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's Dang. And so the that's first like thing that I think began to shape us in recalibrating and understanding in a new way the idea of the soul care journey is that Stephen Gwen at the Potter's Inn, that very first time we were there, really propelled us into a concept of Sabbathing. And not just Sabbathing, but the rhythms of Jesus. Jesus's rhythms, uh, Steve actually wrote a book called The Jesus Way, which kind of goes through the rhythms of Jesus. And, and I loved, I remember, I, I loved discovering that Jesus's rhythm was always, you saw in scripture, to work some, then to be in community with his disciples. Some he would get away with them, yeah. even though the work was not done. And then to be away from the disciples with his father. So it was work, it was community, it was ceasing or Sabbathing. Uh, in other words, intimacy with God. Uh, it, and, and remember, solitude is not being alone. In biblical terms, solitude is being with God, being alone with God. So it's not I go be alone. It's I break away from my life, my community, my people, my stuff to go be with God. Yeah, we're actually going to be uh, dealing with silence and solitude next week. Uh, it'll Perfect. be great. So we're going to be unpacking that. So yeah. the bottom line is this, that at the end of the day, the rhythm of soul care is the first and most important starting point. And the rhythm of soul care was put into scripture as remember me. So he's got all the rhythms of remembrance. Cease. He's got the, all the rhythms of ceasing. So he's got a 6-1, six, 6-1 one, six, one rhythm. Right. Six, six days work, right. one day you That's rest. right. right. So, so you, start with, you start with ceasing, like Brooke said, day one. And then you work for six days out of the fullness of that ceasing. So it's really a 1-6, one, 1-6. Six, one, it's 1-6, one, 1-6, six. Six, one, right. six, one, six. And, and so the, learning at the Potter's Inn, oh, these commands that are, the, the, as Brooke said, the most mentioned command in all of Scripture right. were no joke. And God's basically saying to us, you break this one. Don't be surprised if you start breaking all the others. Yeah, because you're, you're setting yourself up to, to live in a place right. of unhealth. That's right. And how, how can we follow Jesus closely on the six days that we're working? Yep if we're not communing with Jesus on the one day we ought to be resting. That's right. right? And so once we learned that, basically after that weekend, we started Sabbathing every week and we've been doing it ever since and it's been amazing. We actually do three days a week now of Sabbathing. uh, Like we just start early in the morning and we just do nothing for three days. You're so godly. I just want to say, literally since then, how many years ago was that? Seven years ago? Uh, 
five and a half. Okay, fine. We are still struggling with trying so, to figure so this out. Leslie, so, so, Leslie so really, Aziz I mean, is asking oh my gosh. this question. What, uh, you know, would you describe what your family Sabbath day looks like? Disaster. <laughs> That's what it looks like. Okay. Authenticity. Here it is, baby. Anytime you put our 10 of us, the 10 of us, or nine, because now Hadley's in college, together, and we try to do family activities, pretty much there's going to be some level of disaster. Right. Right, that's um, where all the good sermon stories come yes, from. Yes, yeah. <laughs> because there's diff- there's expectations, there's hopes, there's when is this going to be over, do right. we have to, can I go to my friend's house, oh, we're what doing do we have Sabbath, do I wanted to go to Joey's house today, because and now Sabbath I can't because I have to be home a with command the family. Of joy. So, um, yeah, I mean, I remember hating the Sabbath growing up. Like, I, then, I grew up in a, in a church culture where the Sabbath was highly valued, my mom didn't cook. She would only crock pot for the Sabbath. It was like kind of <laughs> yeah. that. And, um, and you know, for me, it felt like a punishment, like time out. So we worked um, really hard to not have it. That Renault is so, I think, so afraid of like legalism, probably like, don't, I don't want anything legalistic about our time. And so we worked the times that we have tried. It's very inconsistent. And our schedule is really challenging with the ages of our kids right now, with yeah. seven teenagers, essentially. Um, it's very challenging. Okay. However, we have worked really hard to not make it be, we don't do a full 24 hours. We do a, when we do it, we do a couple hours. We do a meal together. That's an enjoyable meal. That's kind of a little bit special, maybe with a special dessert, because we don't eat a lot of dessert at our house. We do something together, some sort of fun activity together. Maybe we're going to play a game of, tag. We used to sometimes try playing tag on our, when we lived on the golf course, or we'll go for a walk together and just notice things and kind of like a, you know, creation walk, like, oh, the, you know, look at the sunset or, Or I'd say to the the kids, go find a leaf, each of you, bring it back and describe the leaf. Like forcing this idea of paying attention and then in paying attention, asking the question, what are we enjoying about God? Because I think the thing Brooke and I talked about when we started the Sabbath journey as a family, and we'll talk a lot about the progression of how you make Sabbath uh, rhythms work because we're still struggling with it a lot as a family unit. But I think then we had to kind of boil down to a couple and boil down to individual and start small and build small and it's a long journey. But as a family unit, we also argued a lot early on. I'm not like fought with each other, but wrestled a lot because my experience of Sabbath was more like Joel's as a kid in this sense. My parents, I think, had a great heart, but I remember, one thing I remember about Sabbath is you always napped on the Sabbath. Right. Like, you napped, and I'm <laughs> like, like I don't nap? nap? I'm like Yay, a seven-year-old give me kid. A nap. I yeah. love now, that I realized it was my parents going, please, God, can he please nap so we can have some breathing room? Because now I'm like, I make my kids, like, get in their rooms. But back then, as a kid, you're like, Sabbath is coming. Okay, so that means you, you don't, you nap, you don't have any fun, and it's a quiet day. And I don't want quiet days. So when, when we explored Sabbath, one of the things we discovered about Sabbath is the intent of Sabbath is that you would enjoy God mm. and enjoy each other. Wow. So the reason what a, what you don't it down. What a different yeah. mentality totally. than I just got to go lay in my bed. I got to go Sabbath so I fulfill a command. No, no, no. What God was saying is this. You can't enjoy me or enjoy each other when your hands are on the plow all the time. Wow. So what you got to do is you got to get your hands off the plow, come sit with me, and I promise you if you come sit with me, you will enjoy me because I am enjoyable. So then the question became, how do we take a Sabbath experience and instead of making it a burden or making it an obligation or making it a, you're going to rest, rest, right? How do we say, how do we make this so when we're done with Sabbathing, whether for one hour 
or for three hours or for a day that we would say at the end, we enjoyed God and we enjoyed each other. Mm. And so for our family, just FYI, to get to any space where we would say we enjoyed each other is that that takes work with our family. Mm-hmm. It just does. It's in the nature of our family and the multiple personalities. personalities. So that was, a, that was a great challenge. What activities could we do? Like, let's go kayaking together. So like loading up in the, in the car and going to Rock Springs for a morning of kayaking can be a Sabbath experience. Yeah. You don't have to make Sabbath like do nothing, stay home. Right. It can be, we're going to do, today the day is going to be about enjoying God and about enjoying each other. And we're going to find ways to do that. Yeah, and you so move from straitjacket to adventure there. That's we would have a saying? fun activity. We'd have some sort of spiritual engagement, whether that was prayer time or we'd watch some sort of little video together and mm-hmm. chat about it. I would teach them some of the different um, kind of new ways of praying that I've been exposed to over the last few years. And I'd kind of bring them into that and show them that prayer is not just, thank you, God, for this day. I want to pray for my teacher whose mom is sick, which is all wonderful, but different ways to experience communicating with God. And we practice that together. And then we'd have a, so a meal, some sort of fun activity and some sort of spiritual. And that's kind of what our family could handle. Right. You know, yeah. those three things. Four hours max. And remember yeah. that spiritual activity we did? I mean, I would intentionally go find videos online uh, by some uh, great people that were good with youth ministry that were like nine and a half minutes long. Yeah. And then we would discuss the video for three and a half minutes. Like right. it wasn't like we're doing a Bible study together. Yeah. So we kept trying to think about Sabbath as how, how do we, from a family perspective, how do we keep everything tight, short, enjoyable, so that the, at least the mindset shifts from um, you don't Sabbath at all or when you Sabbath, it's terrible, to this was actually fun. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like any other spiritual discipline. If you try to start at like a 10, you're going to struggle. Like if you, if you're like, I want to try fasting, let me do a 40 day fast. It's probably not going to go well. You may want to try like, you know, fasting fasting a meal breakfast first or, you know, then, you know, fast a a full day, you know, do, do, you know, do things that are going to be successful. And my desire is that it'll, it'll become something that's consistent in our family and then it'll be become longer. And my, I really, believe that in you know the next few years as a few of our kids move on and that it'll become a little more realistic for our family um, to be able to have that and we'll be, have kind of built those foundational blocks mm. to be able to expand it into a fuller you know broader experience for us and we also had to learn Brooke and I to celebrate the small wins right. and not constantly feel burdened by the big losses because there's yeah. more big losses than small wins, right? And the yeah. big losses feel bigger. So Sabbath, you first encounter Sabbath rhythms. And it's not about the rhythm, it's now about the day again. We've got to find a day in the week, day one, it's got to be about rest. And then you fail at that, which right. you just do. Yeah. And then the, when you fail, you feel this defeat, you fe- and then you bail on the whole thing. So what we had to do is say, if we could once a month find three hours on a Saturday or on a Friday evening, or on a Sunday afternoon, and we can get our kids together for three hours, and we can do a fun activity, a meal, and something spiritual once a month right now. Big win. Yeah. We celebrate So that, that was kind of how you began That's the how we that just, was... we, well, we, we actually started with like, Sabbath one day a week, go. Oh, and that was start... a miserable so disaster. So you started with, we're oh, we going to do it. High bar. And then, and because 
my wife is a high bar person. Right. Give her an idea. We start at the top because right. she can. Right. She's capable of that. Absolutely. She's a disciplined, get her done type person. Yeah. Then she's surrounded by nine other humans that you are aren't. incapable of that. <laughs> and so she recognizes uh, so how if often. So if I had a whip, maybe, you know, yeah. I could work Or if she lived alone, she'd be Sabbathing <laughs> like a beast. <laughs> I would. But that the truth is, so is and we have to remember that. The world we live in, I always tell people when they go away for a week on some like, you know, uh, monast uh, monastery type of experience and they come back and they're like, if only life could be. And I always tell them, life's not like that. That's the point. God wants us to live in the world, but not to, to live like the world. Huh. So it is a You're trying to preach else? this week's a, sermon, a little first Peter that he's preaching and I'm, not, I'm so mad. <laughs> so I just but, want to say two things because Renault will just keep talking and then I won't get to it. I don't. So. Um, this is true. Two of the words for me that have probably been besides just idea of besides just the idea of friendship with God and rediscovering what it is to just be enjoy being with God, probably the two words that would kind of mark my um, soul care journey that I come back to over and over again, um, and I think they are relevant to what we're talking about right now, are the words beloved and grace. Mm. And for me, um, in particular. I'll explain why those words are too, so meaningful. So the word beloved um, is a word that God calls us that we are his beloved mm. and that he is our beloved. Mm. And um, in my journey and in my spiritual journey over the last years, I lost that for a while because I am a perfectionist, because I am work, 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 work. And I have this very, as Renaud mentioned, this very high standard of the way that I want things to go the ways I think they should go and the way no, I know they're capable of if I just work harder and just keep going and persevere then we'll get there and mm. I went through a period where there was so much what felt like failure around me because of the, my family struggles that I just felt like a constant failure and that carried over into my relationship with the Lord because wow. what happened is I thought if I, I know Jesus I've followed Jesus for 18 years or 20 years or whatever point I was at, I, sh I have the spirit of the living God in me who raised Christ from the dead. I should be able to not scream at my kids every day. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't. And I was screaming at them every day. Yeah. And so I went into this just dark place of I'm not enough. Mm. I'm not good enough. Mm. I don't really, I'm not walking with the Lord because if I was spiritual enough, then I wouldn't have these emotional struggles. Wow. And it was just this whole big spiral of me yeah. going down and down and down. Yeah. And so God, through this journey and through my time at the Potter's Inn and my time with my mentors working with me, um, this word beloved just became such a precious wow. word of like, you are beloved because you're mine. Yeah. Not because you're super mom. Mm -hmm. Not because you're a pastor's wife. Mm. Not because you're, you know, a fitness instructor. Mm. Not because of blah, 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 and fill in the blank, fill in your own blanks. Wow. But because you are mine and I made you and I love you and I want to be with you mm. and I desire a relationship with you that's and so that's good. enough. So that's the word beloved. That's why that has become really kind of marks my soul care journey to remind me of that over and over again and then grace. And FYI, like both Brooke and I on our, which anniversary was it? I wasn't going to say. I'm saying it. So um, we got <laughs> 20th tattoos. 20th anniversary. 20th anniversary. On our rings, she has one. It's the only <laughs> tattoo she was willing to get. Um, <laughs> it's a good one. It's a good one, but it says uh, in Hebrew, "beloved," uh, not beloved, beloved not, not, not to remind us 
that we are each other's beloved, though we are, that's what the ring does, but below the ring, before we ever wear a ring, that we are loved by God, we are his beloved, he is our beloved, and that's the core of where everything else comes out of. Yeah. So it became really core to both of us in a really big way. You know, and you see that throughout the New Testament, especially, I mean, you see it in the Old Testament mm-hmm. as well, but where any author, whether it's Paul, Peter, mm-hmm. James, John, they'll, they'll start with, what is our identity mm-hmm. Beloved, it's actually in the text this mm-hmm, week. Like mm-hmm. um, he's he's going to he's going to stop and say, "Okay, beloved, I want to urge you mm-hmm. to abstain from the passions of, of the flesh." Mm-hmm. So there's the command: abstain from the passions of the flesh. But it comes out of the root of our identity. Right. That that any anything, whether it's spiritual discipline, soul care, um, you know, living <coughs> the way of Christ, anything is. You're set up for failure. You're doomed to failure if it's not rooted in in our new identity in Christ. And I think that the voice of the enemy is so loud, um, you know, in in our failures and mm-hmm. shouting out that we're not enough, that we're not mm-hmm. that that word. If we could catch that word, that word, beloved. Mm-hmm. Um, Man, are you available and, to preach the opening of this this, uh, this no weekend? Kidding. But you know, here's the other um, thing, Joel, and I good. think this is yeah. key um, to the soul care journey, is that without the right rhythms yeah. of remembering, of ceasing, of being with God, of abiding with Him, of enjoying Him, guess what we forget? Our identity. That we're beloved. Yeah. That we forget our identity. Absolutely. And then we start living outside of that identity, and that's when everything spirals. So the idea of soul care is not the side note that you do to keep sustaining the life. It is the source in which we abide. So the disciplines of the faith should be felt and experienced as the greatest gift we have. And that's what we want to recalibrate slowly over the, the, the next few days, weeks, months, and years of our life is finding those to be the most precious space, not because they and of themselves are precious, but because they are the spaces of abiding with the one that is most precious, Mm. who then reminds us of how precious we are to him. Mm. And then out of that, we live. So beloved was the first word that I think was a big deal. Real quick before you jump into grace. So Sean Starbuck in the house. Yay, Sean! Brother! We miss you, Sean. We love you. Oh my gosh. You should come and hang out up here with us. Yeah. Done. Let's make that happen. We can can lock you in for a Facebook Live. Man, (laughs) miss you, man. Tell Marlena we say hey and... Oh my gosh! So glad Yay. you're with us. It's awesome. We love so, so the second. So again, just to kind of recap where we're at, we've been talking about uh, spiritual disciplines. Uh, we've been going through with Renault and Brooke their story of discovering the value of soul care in their lives, uh, and what that <coughs> journey has looked like uh, for them. They spent some time uh, early on recognizing um, that uh, Sabbath was valuable, um, recognizing that that stopping resting. Um, that 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 begins the rhythm of spiritual disciplines and, and the disciplines of their faith in their lives and soul care and how that plays out. And so we've been talking about that so far. And uh, Brooke just pointed out two words that have been just really valuable to her in kind of grasping soul care and, and how it works. And the first was beloved, just recognizing our identity, that when we fail and when we struggle and when we don't succeed, that our identity in Christ is what what matters most and supersedes all of our failures. And then the second was uh, grace. So why don't you un- unpack that a little bit? So grace, again, um, is tied <coughs> to beloved. Just that um, that this is not a, you know, this is not a test. This is, I do not have to have an A plus to pass to be close to God. Hmm. That this is a journey and that um, God 
is so gracious. His heart is for me. And so each step that I take, whether it's a little teeny step or a giving an entire day to God every week, which, like I said, we're not there yet, um, is a beautiful thing and is wonderful. And so it's, I know God's grace for me is enough. I don't have very much grace for myself. That's the problem. (laughs) God has enough, but why can't I have grace for myself? Um, And learning... And this is again, it's it's a journey. I'm still very much on it. If you if you know me, you know that about me. Um, that just learning to have grace for myself, and like Renault said, to celebrate the small little things and to find joy and fulfillment in those um, little things. And so there are some things about the soul care journey that are, you know, the Sabbath might sound super overwhelming. Like, oh my goodness, there's no way I can do a day right now. Um, and I hear you, and I feel that yeah. as well. Some of the things that have been really um, great for me and powerful are just some simple ways of interacting with the Lord, prayer, kind of ancient prayer disciplines that can be utilized on a moment-to-moment basis that don't ha- you don't have to have any special materials, you don't have to be away, you can be at the red light for 30 seconds and engaging and using the breath prayer, for example, um, it's just a way, literally, God tells us in Genesis, and it's also mentioned multiple times throughout Scripture, that it is God's breath in our lungs. We sing it in worship songs often, mm-hmm. that God breathed into Adam's nostrils and he became a living being. Yeah. And the word breath and spirit are the same word. In our English language, they're different, but in both Hebrew and Greek, ruach and pneuma, the same word. Our breath is God's spirit wow. in us. Wow keeping us alive, sustaining us. And so that stopping just for 30 seconds, not necessarily for 24 hours, I'm going to get there someday, (laughs) but for that 30 seconds into literally when you breathe deeply, you can't think about the 19 calls you have to return. You can't think about the bank account that the check that just bounced. You can't think about the fight you had with your, you know, Whoever, that morning, you really can only think about one thing. You can maybe just think about your breath, but you can also maybe think one word, God, I need you. So the breath prayer is just a simple inhale, exhale, deep breath, where you say who God is to you, and then you ask him for what you need. So on like, God, breath. my healer, um, heal my soul, or God, my refuge, Give me rest or peace. You know, just things like that. It's just a phrase. It's just a simple phrase as you inhale, God, a name of God, for instance. Exhale, here's my prayer. Wow. And it's everything else goes away because when you breathe deeply, there's physiological, amazing physiological breaths. I mean, benefits. I'm so fascinated by the breath, the way that God has designed our bodies. Our breath is the only voluntary, involuntary system that's also voluntary. Really? So in other words, oh, so yeah, I remember you shared that. You can't control you your digestive that. system, but you can in a second control your breath. Huh. But 99.9% of the time, our breath is just happening on its own, sustaining our life. Hmm. But we can hold our breath. Hmm. But by, by breathing deeply, literally it's like regulating your central nervous system, restoring a sense of calm, it's lowering your blood pressure. I mean, all these physiological benefits, 
but it also quiets your mind. For most of us, if you're anything like me, your brain is like this. They're just the thoughts, the noise, whether it's the to-do list or just the random things. You're like, oh, oh, like your mind's just going off in a million directions. When you breathe deeply, your mind can't do that anymore. Yeah. And so just a powerful way, just simple, that you don't have to take a 24 hours. You can take five minutes. Yeah. And, and this was all born out of this idea. And I think Steve and Gwen, who are our uh, mentors of ours at the Potter's Inn and continue to be, I think the more they got to know us too, so they would say, you know, Sabbath rhythms. And then we would tell them our story. Well, you know, gr- sounds great. We would come back home. We would try it. We'd go back to the Potter's Inn and go, it was a disaster. <laughs> uh, we try with eight kids and this happened. And then what they were very good about doing is saying, okay, why don't you just try this or just try that? And they started building into us these very small shifts, these practical, practical ways, ways yeah. that we can shift small ways. And grace then, and beloved, but it was born out of that, it's like have grace about the 24-hour Sabbath, that's a disaster, but why don't you start with the breath prayer? That's 30 seconds. Hmm. And incorporate that sometimes, or the prayer of examine at night, which we'll get into another time. Another little tool, six minutes, five minutes, but it gets that rhythm in place. Mm-hmm. We learn to do the Lectio Divina, which mm-hmm. is a that's sacred powerful, reading. beautiful way to hear God speak to you through his word. And it's a, it's a 10 minute exercise reading a passage of scripture that reshapes the way you experience that scripture and experience God. So there was this list of little things, we have a bunch of them, that started becoming little parts of add this, do this. And the disciplines of the faith are like that, I think to us. They're not this big giant burden of big things you have to learn to do. They are small additions into your rhythms that shape and change your rhythm so eventually your whole rhythm is different. So it's 12.45. Got a lot we got to still cover. A <laughs> um, couple of questions I want to ask you guys. So let's go real quick with them. And then I want to hear a little bit more about uh, holy yoga from you. Um, but first of all, uh, first question, go, going back to Sabbath. And then we've got a couple of questions on prayer. The Sabbath question is, um, you know, if you're choosing the activities and they're meant to be fun, um, you know, this is kind of a two-part question. First of all, do you always choose the activities? If so, why? If not, why? You know, do you allow the kids to choose some of those activities? And then the, the kind of the follow-up is, uh, when does an activity kind of get outside the realm of Sabbath? So, like, can any activity be Sabbath? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, do you always choose the Sabbath activities when you do a family Sabbath? We usually do just because we have so many kids. If I had two kids, no, I would let my kids. But there's nine at home. I mean, I mean eight. Right. So. And so there's just too many. Like there's just not going to be agreement. There's no even if we took votes, there'd be five different right. options and there would be no. So we right. will take. Sometimes we'll do like write your ideas down on a piece of paper and I'll collect those ideas and then I'll hold on to them and then over the course of time I might pull from those ideas. So that's how we include our kids. Hey, over the next six months, we got we need some ideas for some Sabbath things. Well, we, we can't can just sit down God. and have a conversation yeah. and then go totally. from there. So, which totally makes sense between seven kids and then two right. adults. Yeah, so then, okay, wh- uh, how do you know uh, an activity counts as a Sabbath activity right. versus an activity that, like, can't really and fit in Sabbath? One that fosters relationship. Yes. So, like, going to the movies... Would not would be a great family activity. It'd, It'd be, be a great fun. Renault activity. Yes, yes Renault, Renault, Renault would day. probably argue that it's Sabbath activity. I feel I'm like it's a Sabbath no. activity. Yeah, because you can't so, foster relationships. Because you're not fostering. Midst. I'm fostering relationship with God while I watch the movie. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. probably <laughs> is, but the rest of us aren't. Right. Um, so, like playing a game together, going on a walk together, something that makes us interact <clears throat> with each other 
in yeah. a positive way. Enjoying God while enjoying sense. each other is the key to the activity. Yeah. So many activities can be neutral or Sabbath activities. So for example, kayaking. If we went kayaking together, right? And three of my kids are like, we don't want to be with you. And off they go. Can we go around that side? I might do something like this. You're welcome to, when you get back to us, bring me one thing that fascinated you about what you discovered as you were looking at nature. So you just find ways to keep it. So as long as the activity drives you back, as Brooke said, to enjoying each other or enjoying God, then it's a worthy activity. Perfect. Perfect. Thanks for answering that. The other question we have, um, this is more about prayer and specifically the breath prayer. So like, where does the breath prayer come from? Obviously, that's not something that's explicitly written about in scripture. Where is that rooted? Is that something that we can trust? Should we be nervous about that? Um, can you speak okay. to that a little bit? So I looked up the b- background years ago, so I'm not going to be able to remember specifically. It goes back to the early centuries, I believe, to the Desert Fathers. Don't quote me on that. Yeah. Which is like early, you know, kind of single centuries, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like the fourth century, something like that. Yeah. Um, and really for me, you know, I think of it, what I explained to you kind of about the breath and that idea of God breathing into Adam's nostrils and him becoming a living being. And then this, you know, um, that we're told multiple times in scripture that it's God who sustains us in Colossians 3, that he is the creator and sustainer of he us. He holds our very... Right. Uh, and so it's a way in the moment to direct my attention back to the Lord. I'm not saying any weird words. I'm saying, God, Prince of Peace, calm my storm. Yeah. Those are all from Scripture. Those are all and, and phrases from Scripture. And so to me, it's I can't say anything. Can you trust it? Can you be worried about it? Well, you could say that about any prayer you pray. And I think that's the key. It's you know Where people get nervous with things like this is um, you know, they'll think, well, that seems very much like it comes from other religions or different things like that. But the reality is, um, you know, if it is rooted in the Scripture— right. We're focusing our heart, our attention, our minds on God. On Christ. And, uh, you know, we know that we are called to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So it's the idea of right? taking your thoughts captive, to me, it's like, or like, pray without ceasing. Yeah. Those, both of those things come back to me. The breath prayer is, it's not the answer. It's a way to take my thoughts captive. Yeah. In that moment where I'm feeling myself feeling stressed or anxious or my mind's all over the place, I pause, I stop, I breathe deeply, and I just say the prayer. So real quick, do you have any, any resources that you've, that you, any, any books that you've read on the disciplines of the faith or any, anything that you've kind of found very helpful that you would point people towards? I mean, there's been a number of uh, books. I would say some of the stuff that Steve and Gwen have done have been very helpful to us. Um, the, uh, the Jesus Way. Um, that's also, Steve Smith. Uh, Steve, mm-hmm. Stephen Smith. And then also um, the, the Saul one. Oh, my gosh, are you kidding me? Um, the first one I read was really good. The one that talks about how the soul is so disrupted. Anyways, it'll come to me in a second. Um, so those are really good. Uh, there's also um, several of the books we mentioned last week uh, that Carrie Waters mentioned on Disciplines of the Faith. There's was one really called good. the Spiritual um, Disciplines <clears throat> Handbook, which is by Adele Calhoun, I believe, is the author of that one. I have not read that one. I've, it's on my to-read list. Stephen Gwen used it a lot in the Soul Care Institute, which is a two-year program. Um, 
they use that. I have a couple other friends who just, so you've probably heard of the Celebration of Discipline. That one's more well-known. This would be more of a very practical, like yeah. it's, a, it's a handbook yeah. with actual specific exercises. And then Dallas Willard has some really good stuff. Yep. Um, Phil's been really excited about a book recently um, that I, I can find. But um, Stephen Smith's book is Soul Custody. Mm-hmm. Soul Custody, thank you. And then I think also, um, you know, uh, what is the book with the... With, uh, with the, the, the Blue Book? The Blue Book. So yeah. the Blue Book is it's a called book the Blue Book. It's called The Blue Book. And just I just bought mine on yeah. Amazon. And it's a book that... Um, my spiritual director shared with me and used during some of our times together and it's a weekly rhythm so there's scriptures to read so kind of like a devotional I don't use it every single day but um, there's a scripture that you read the same scripture for the whole seven days and there's accompanying scriptures to read along with that each you know so there's say Psalm 36 you read for seven days and then each day there might be another scripture to read along with Psalm 36 and then there's selected readings from Authors, pastors, um, you know, some maybe Mother Teresa, maybe C.S. Lewis, maybe a modern, you know, um, a modern alive, um, like a Renaud Vandering. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yes, almost like. But that. also going back <laughs> to like a Billy Graham. But better. <laughs> you know, John of the Cross, going back to like the early centuries. So then these selected readings that go along with that theme for the week, and there's a theme for each week, kind of. It's an annual 52-week cool. cycle, and it's really powerful. The book that Phil's really into right now for spiritual disciplines is Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Donald Whitney. Yep, that was mentioned last week. Yeah, That's and the he'll one. talk about it next week for sure. So. And also, you know, just um, just kind of as we're looking at resources, I do think it is important as we, as we discover new things, new sacred uh, ancient practices, it's important to find out where the roots are. Yeah. Sometimes the roots are from a place that are not helpful, and then we can determine whether we can redeem it or not. Right. Sometimes the roots are beautiful, and then we can know immediately, like, wow, here's an ancient practice we lost along the way that we're gaining back. Right. So the breath prayer is a great example. It actually comes out of the Eastern Orthodoxy, so mm-hmm. Greek Orthodox churches, Roman Orthodox churches. It was called the Jesus Prayer when it first started, mm-hmm. and the breathe, breathing in deeply was a part of it, and then they moved it to be called the breath prayer to bring out that idea of breath. Yeah. So you read the origins of that, and it's amazing. I just Googled it again. So because we live in the information age, you can do a lot of quick study and then determine whether something can be redeemed or not. So speaking of things that are great opportunities to redeem, I would love for Brooke to share a little bit about holy yoga, which I have experienced before and am a huge fan of. Ditto. Um, yeah, Renault as well. Uh, Brooke has led um, some some holy yoga sessions with us uh, in our staff retreat. And man, I seriously, I loved it. So Brooke, share with us just a little bit about how holy yoga has um, kind of been a, mm-hmm. a part of your spiritual disciplines and also talk about why is it something that we can redeem mm-hmm. uh, along with that. So okay. that'd be great. So I, as I mentioned earlier, I was, I've been a fitness instructor for a very long time. Um, many years ago, before my soul care journey started, I started subbing some yoga classes at the gym. Oh, can you just sub? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I haven't taught yoga before. I don't know. And it's a very kind of, you know, um, Anyway, it wasn't a spiritual thing. I was just doing the physical practices. I kind of learned a few things and would sub a few classes here and there. Over the last few years, as I shared kind of just my personal struggles and my own journey and struggling with just feeling overwhelmed and depression and like I'm going 100 miles an hour and I still can't get everything done, I started um, seeing the value of learning how to just quiet 
my mind, trying to just stop and just be still and not feel like I'm in overdrive all the time. And if I don't do it, everything's going to fall apart. Yeah. And so I'm talking fast because that's how I was feeling inside <laughs> all the time, <laughs> even though you might not have noticed that if from the outside. And so I started practicing yoga in a secular setting at the National Training Center, which is the gym where I teach, um, to really just learn to be still. I know that's a spiritual discipline that goes back, but I don't do stillness well. I just work. I just go. I just keep moving to get the next thing done. And it was really valuable. And I was focusing my mind on the Lord and just learning to just lay still literally for like seven minutes. And then the physical, the stretching and the flexibility was really good for my body. And I was beginning to experience some physical release of tension and so whatnot. where so where yoga typically will say like empty your mind right you weren't doing that you no. were filling your mind with thoughts right. of the lord so, I would so just you're have just kind of i would have a scripture that i'd be thinking about yeah. or i would just be praying or i would just have a, maybe a you know the word beloved whatever i just have maybe a word that i would just kind of just be thinking about um just ways to just be stop my mind from going in a million directions and a million miles an hour so then the soul care journey happened, and I really um, started, like I said, experiencing in my gym life the benefits of this kind of slower, more mindful style of exercise. All my exercise up to that point had been like, burn calories, go, lift more weights, go, 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 because that's yeah. my personality. <laughs> um, and it was really hard for me to just be like, no, it's good to like stretch. <laughs> yeah. uh, who cares if I'm burning this many calories, my heart rate's this high? Mm. Then I started wanting to get my yoga certification, but I was really nervous to spend that much, many hours. It's a 225-hour certification, and that many dollars, it's a lot of dollars, um, for a certification where I knew that I was going to be exposed to teachings that I might, that I would most likely not agree with yeah. them. And the background yoga does, does have roots in the Hindu faith. It, there's questions about, did it exist before? Did it exist after? It was... Um, and I didn't want to spend that much time and money and my, my mental energy studying something that I wasn't going to agree with. Right. So I started looking into Christian yoga and had a friend who had um, done it and had amazing things to say about it. And I spent probably a year praying, researching, thinking, wondering, is this the right move for me? And I made the step and, and got my 225-hour certification through a ministry called Holy Yoga and, and I would, after, like I said, a lot of research, and it was to date in my 22 years of, 25 years of following Christ, one of the most amazing experiences, very Christ-honoring completely every single week. I'd say we studied the Bible more than we did any poses. I mean, it was just so Jesus-focused, yeah. scripturally-based. Every person that I encountered from my teachers to, um, I had to go on a six-day retreat to all of the staff there, it was all about the Lord every time, every single time, and it was powerful. Yeah. And and so I came back feeling completely confident that this was, that for me, although there might be other people who are doing it for other reasons, my experience and the reason I do it and the reason I lead it and for others is to point people towards, towards the Lord. And the best way to explain it, and again, in a nutshell, I like to just summarize it, is worshiping the Lord, heart, mind, soul and strength. Mm. So that first commandment where we are bringing in one experience of moving, stretching, holding different postures. So you're, that's the physical, that body side. Your mind is engaged on Christ. 
the heart, your desire is for more of him and for him to fill you and for him to meet with you during that time. So it's just this because heart, mind, body and you're stopping experience. And, you're and we do that in worship. You know, we lift our hands right. as a sign of surrender. We bow to down God. low. We bow down. We do these right. things during worship. I mean, that, that is a natural part because God made us, you know, mind, soul, strength, right. body, and all, the other, all of that. Right? So it's just this that, integrated experience yeah. of bringing it all together and then offering yourself, your, your whole self, heart, mind, body, strength, back to the Lord and saying, this is for you. The other piece that's been amazing watching this journey is Brooke then went and got her certification in trauma-informed holy yoga, hmm. which is the next evolution of that. Wow. And the idea there is not only are you worshiping God with all of this now in this holistic sense, but healing for the body, mind, soul, and spirit takes place when we are going through a holistic process of healing. And I would say the disciplines of the faith intimacy, the Sabbath rhythms, holy yoga, the breath prayer. I mean, and, and the, the other things that over the weeks to come we will unpack. Yeah. They all become parts of this thing that says, here's how we abide in Christ. Remember yeah. our identity, live out of it. But then here's also how we experience healing from Christ. Yeah. And that's what this whole thing has become about. And, you know, that my experience has, has been, you know, in, in the past, I had a very narrow idea of what it meant to engage with God. Um, you know, maybe it was worship music, maybe it was Bible reading, maybe mm-hmm. Bible study, and that was pretty much it. And what, what I've really enjoyed about the journey of the disciplines of the faith and soul care here at Mosaic is that we're learning that there are so many ways to connect with God and that for different people, there are going to be things that are going to be right up someone's alley mm-hmm. that might not be up another alley. Like, that's why next week we're going to talk about uh, silence and solitude, and Renault is not going to be the one leading that discussion. Uh, because silence, solitude, maybe not his strong points, right? And yet I've been practicing them in Which, some regularity, like once every three or four years. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in much more, because they're important, but they're not my thing. Which is great. <clears throat> so, um, you know, so for you if, you, if you are into fitness at all, holy yoga is an awesome space. If you're not into fitness at all, holy yoga is an awesome space because truly it is um, just a great experience of taking that time and really focusing in. I enjoyed it so much. I can't wait to, to do it again. Um, when does that happen here at Mosaic? When are some opportunities that people could jump into Holy Yoga So we have four classes a week, which is really awesome. So Monday morning and Wednesday morning we meet at 8.30. It's an hour long. And that's here. That's here in the, in the um, city, the room where the kids meet. And then um, Friday morning it's at 9.30. So if you drop your kids off a little later, you're not an early morning person. It's for men and women, all ages, no experience necessary. So you don't need to be familiar no, with yoga no, at all? Not no. at all. Do you, you need just, to bring a yoga mat? Do you, you need can, to? can. That would be great. We have a few extra here if you're not sure if you want to try it out for a week or two and then decide if you want to buy yourself a mat. Um, and then we have a Monday night class, 7 p.m., and that meets in the back hallway. Um, and we set up the pipe and drapes because there's the equipping classes or some of the classes are using the room up there. So. And what's so, really and cool about Holy Yoga co- too, just real yeah. quick, is, is there a cost? cost? Was yeah. I about to say. So there is a there cost, is a cost but, but we really wanted it to be um, a ministry, not just where we're ministering to the people that are coming, but a greater mm-hmm. kind of like a, you know, extra a ministry. And so we take a small, the instructors um, take a small class fee. There's a lot of ongoing expenses, maintaining your certification, and we each have to carry insurance, music, blah, blah, blah. Um, so we take a small class fee, which is pretty much standard in the gym industry. Same thing I get. At the, the gym pays me for my one-hour class, and it's not a lot. <laughs> um, 
Um, and then the rest of everything else we take in, we give to a different global partner or local ministry partner every single month. So over the last last year, we were able to give almost $6,000 away wow. to different ministry partners wow. throughout the course through of the whole, year. Holy really yoga. Awesome. So now yeah. Holy Yoga is healing, worshiping, and affecting global ministry all at the same time. It's pretty awesome. cool. So um, we're out of time for the day, but... Um, Brooke, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, for absolutely. No, thank you. Great as to always. be with you guys. As um, always. Bye. So we are we are uh, continuing this conversation next week with uh, spiritual disciplines. We're going to be talking about silence and solitude. Phil Taylor's going to join us, uh, so it'll be really really great to hear from him. And uh, as we continue on, I just want to encourage uh, everybody who's watching. Um, you know, share this out. Um, you know, uh, it's it's a great opportunity for people to be exposed to things that they may, may not have known about, um, specifically what it means to care for ourselves. And remember, start small, celebrate the little wins, don't feel heavy about the big losses, and build, 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 and eventually you'll have rhythms that have changed. Just looking for that rhythm. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. We will see you you next week.